Hello and welcome to episode six of the TGN podcast. I'm joined today by Ollie once again. Hello. Hello. And our resident PS4 expert, Sammy's here again. Hello. Hello. Slightly different show today. We're not going to be talking about what we've been playing at great length because we've all pretty much been playing what we've already spoken about previously. But there's a, a few things going on this week. So we've got a really interesting interview with Mike Brown, who's a principal games designer at Playground Games. So he's going to talk to us about Forza Horizon 4 and deciding on the seasons and the location and all kinds of good stuff. So that'll come up at the end of this show. Uh, the main topic this week happening tomorrow it is XO18, which if you weren't aware is a, a special Microsoft event where they've been teasing that they're going to be giving us lots of new announcements and things for existing games and maybe some new games and third party and first party and all kinds of stuff to talk about. They've not really said a great deal about what we're going to see there. So we're just going to kind of wildly speculate and probably get it all wrong. So, so we can probably check back next week and see what we actually got right. Let's start with, uh, we got a question straight off the bat. We have, it's from, I hope I pronounced this correctly. I haven't even practiced pronouncing this. Um, <laughs> Niala, Niala Fotep sounds Egyptian. That's right. Um, well, even yeah. better is it at Mike Smith. <laughs> <laughs> I should have just said that, shouldn't I? <laughs> anyway, uh, at, at Mike Smith, he says, do you think there will be any mind-blowing announcements at XO18? And if so, what do you think it will be? So I think everyone in the industry is kind of speculating. So yeah. why don't we join them and <laughs> give some good speculation? What do you guys reckon? I'm kind of torn like uh, it wouldn't surprise me if what they revealed is all you know little minor announcements you know this dlc pack oh crackdown still coming out you know little things but then on the opposite scale they've got kind of like this platform to do something new that they haven't done for a while and no playstation event going on so they've got like, like this mm. this opportunity to really seal the end of the year i suppose yeah so it I'm kind of, I wouldn't be surprised if there's nothing and I wouldn't be surprised if we come away going, wow, that's amazing, all this stuff that's coming. So I'm torn. Yeah, but I mean, I'm... PSX always used to have a fair few announcements. I mean, it wasn't necessarily as big as E3, but, you know, we had stuff like um, Medieval Remastered was announced at last year's PSX and things like that. So I'd imagine if Xbox are trying to emulate what PSX was doing before, they'll probably will have at least some interesting announcements. I don't think it would just be stuff we already know about. So it should be exciting. There's been a fair few tweets uh, teasing different things from Microsoft employees. I, I think the, 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 the biggest one I think that people are going to be interested to see is Crackdown because of the history there and the the fact that there's been a lot of controversial stuff happening, keeps getting pushed back. We're never sure what it's going to include. And the the release date is, is fast approaching. Now, this is going to be the last major event that, that Xbox have before supposedly it releases in March, assuming it doesn't get pushed back again. I don't, I don't think it can afford to do that, but there's also been a bit of news that, that perhaps, that perhaps kind of signals that there's going to be some kind of crackdown related stuff going on there. Uh, we've had the, We've seen that Crackdown, the first game, has is is free at the moment on Xbox. For yep. um, it's backwards compatible on on Xbox One as well, so that's completely free for people to download at the moment. We don't, we haven't seen an official announcement for that, but we're assuming it's something to do with 
XO18 happening that it's that it's going to be free for a short time, perhaps. So it, that definitely points to me towards there being some kind of crackdown announcement um, and, and hopefully some kind of gameplay footage. I think that's what we really need right now. Yeah. I don't know where I stand with Crackdown. I really, the idea when they originally announced it, you know, using all the cloud stuff to make individual particles in the online world, like that sounded ace. But then I think they kind of went too far that way. And then the last time we saw it a couple of years ago, they kind of moved it back towards a single player element of the game rather than the, the, and then people are assuming they've dropped that cloud stuff completely now. So it's going to be really interesting to see, like you say, it's coming out in, three months like where is the game at now what what is it (laughs) yeah and uh, there's there's been a listing on i think the italian xbox store for for the game that suggests that it's now got a subtitle so it's apparently going to be called crackdown 3 new providence which is the name of the city in the game and i wonder whether that's partly to i wonder if that's true and when they sort of relaunch it under a new name perhaps xo18 whether they're going to try and rebrand what the game is to people i think that there's probably have been a lot of changes to the way that cloud stuff's going to work and i wonder whether they're trying to say okay we're kind of re-announcing the game under this new title this is what we're actually going to commit to in terms of the cloud side of things because i think they'll still do it but whether it'll be as ambitious as they imagined it was going to be to start with uh, that's that's where i'm kind of doubting it's gonna it's going to be quite as crazy as they were suggesting it was going to be in the first place and and i think this might be a good opportunity for them to to reframe it to people yeah i think we probably all agree that like it's pretty important that they get the messaging right with it coming so soon they need to nail down what it is how it's going to work and i don't know they need to show some really good gameplay i mean we've had some really good i thought trailers for it you know like terry cruz in it and stuff like that but it wasn't gameplay yeah. it was just a fun fun to watch trailer we need to see gameplay we need to see exactly what it is and hopefully they'll address that i'm guessing that I'll, yeah. if, if i was microsoft that'd probably be one of the most important things that i was thinking of doing to be honest they got to show what they're doing differently as well because i would argue that spider-man is quite a crackdown like game that people have yeah. just played recently so if they if it is really just the same old crackdown just on a bigger scale i wonder whether people would be a bit tired of that so yeah i'm hoping to see something new and different other little bits we've had this week so aaron greenberg tweeted out that he was at ninja theory so are we expecting to see something from ninja theory a new game a trailer yeah i mean I, i i mean to be honest i imagine aaron greenberg must be visiting most of the yeah. people they've acquired recently and and hellblade really wasn't that long ago and and while i'm sure they were probably planning what they were going to do next when they finished hellblade they were quite close to shutting down in terms of their finances so i'd be surprised if they'd managed to get that far with something but whether microsoft have come along and said here work on this or whether they're because i'm pretty sure when ninja theory kind of joined up with microsoft they said what we like is that they're leaving us to do our own stuff so i can't imagine they're working on anything that Microsoft have told them to work on. No. And it just, it would just be surprising to me if they've really got anywhere with anything, but, but who knows it, it, it could be with that company. It could be absolutely anything. They, they've got <laughs> such a wild history of, of what they've worked on that, that there's no guessing what, what they could possibly be. Um, but hopefully there'll be something new devil may cry. That's what I want. <laughs> DMC two DMC two. Yeah. The, the correct color hair this time. Going head to head with yeah. going head to head with Devil May Cry Five. 
I suppose one thing that they could do, what probably I might expect from either Ninja Theory or at least one of the studios they announced at E3, by now they must have some kind of concept, you know, towards what the next game is going to be. So we might see some kind of cinematic trailer just to announce that something is coming, you know, probably no release date or anything like that, period, or or anything, but just an idea of what they're working on would be cool to see, I guess. Yeah, I I worry that they'll do something like EA did a couple of years ago with their Star Wars stuff, where they just... They just showed oh, a yeah. kind of mashup of all the developers. Oh, we're hard at work on something. And yeah. you just got little teases of stuff. And then <laughs> half of those projects got cancelled. So <laughs> hopefully they won't take up that cursed approach to it. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that has the rumours have been growing for the past few months, for sure, is a Sunset Overdrive releasing on the PC. There was... Things like, I think it was Steam store listings or Steam something or other. And a lot of people were thinking it would be coming soon. Then yesterday, we actually picked up the achievement list for the Windows 10 version. So we definitely know there's a PC version coming. Uh, I presume it's going to appear on Steam as well. So I expect something around that. Would you be surprised if they said, oh, and Sunset Overdrive 2 is in development or something like that? They must know that a lot of people have have wanted it. Mm. Do you think they could do? I don't know it's a difficult one isn't it I don't know if releasing it on PC is enough to make that assumption but yeah or maybe enhanced for the Xbox One X I suppose that's one easy win they could do mm-hmm. yeah that that seems like an easy win if, they, if they're willing to work with them on, on producing a PC version then you think that an enhanced version couldn't be too far off off the plan but but we've had a we had a question, didn't we, as well about about Sunset Overdrive. We did. It's question of the week as well from Tyler, and he says, after so many years, Sunset Overdrive is finally coming to PC. With Insomniac's success with Spider Man and Microsoft saying they might not be done buying studios, what's the chances of Microsoft buying Insomniac, or at least a sequel of Sunset Overdrive? I think it's extremely unlikely that they'll buy Insomniac outright, just because. I think Insomniac, based on Spider-Man, based on how it ended, based on how they're ple- how pleased they are with Spider-Man, I think Insomniac are going to work, want to work on Spider-Man 2. And there's no way they could do that without Sony, because not only is it a PS4 exclusive, but Sony, the, the, the company, owns Spider-Man as, in terms of the rights to the movies and everything else. So the, I can't see Insomniac not doing Spider-Man 2, and I can't see Sony giving up that opportunity yeah. i think they would throw as much money as they possibly could to to continue doing spider-man stuff because it's such a huge part of their entertainment business at the moment but but that doesn't exclude them working on sunset overdrive they could they could easily do that whether they could wrangle a deal where microsoft are happy for them to work on spider-man and playstation are happy for them to work on sunset overdrive exclusive that's that's a bit more of a big ask. I I wonder whether if they did a sequel, it may not end up being exclusive. Yeah. But yeah, it's interesting. It, it's I think the other thing is that Spider Man is such an evolution of what they were doing in Sunset Overdrive yeah, in terms I was of the mechanics. Say that. They're, they're mechanically quite similar, but obviously Spider Man's yeah. probably more advanced. And it's whether they're going to want to go back to Sunset Overdrive when they're already producing a similar game that's. A has got so much more brand power, but B it's got it's got a more sort of solid story content. There's more for them to play with in terms of all the mm. all the lore that's already set up. So I, I it, I'm skeptical. I I don't 
I think as much as that there are there's definitely a core set of people out there that would really love a second game I yeah. I'm still skeptical that they would choose to do that over working on more Marvel related stuff if yeah. they can that core group of people is probably smaller than the people who'd want a Spider-Man sequel. Realistically, Spider-Man sequel isn't going to be next year, is it? It's going to no. be two years, three years, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. Unless they unless they go, oh, this is a really good seller, so let's throw something out as quick as possible, which I don't think most people would want anyway. Like, no. You want them to half-ass a game, would you, after they've done so well with the last one? Yeah. But, I mean, they've tweeted that they'd love to do Sunset Overdrive 2. Oh, really? So it sounds like it, yeah, they, like they've tweeted it in the past that they'd love to do it, but it sounded like Microsoft weren't willing to do that with Microsoft seemingly having a bigger budget, you know, to spend on games and acquiring studios and stuff like that. I don't think they'll think acquire I, them because no. Insomniac doesn't seem like a company that's short of money, to be honest. Like they pretty no. much nail whatever they make and it seems to sell well. And they must have got a shed load of money from Spider Man. So I can't see him being in the need to sell, but in terms of him doing a sequel, I could see it. If there was a want from Microsoft to actually produce it, mm. I could see it being something they could look at doing. I hope it is. I'd, I love Sunset Overdrive. I'd, I'd play a second easily. Yeah, lots of people love it, don't they? I've never played it myself. But then the problem is, is I love Crackdown, and you know, I wanted a sequel, and now I now I'm so tired of the of the go around <laughs> on it. Is that I, I wonder whether there's a little bit of paranoia about trying to revive another series that went by the wayside because they don't want it to end up in, they don't want yet another classic Microsoft series to end up in, in some kind of development hell and whether they're trying to focus at the moment on producing more of this sort of interesting uh, new IP content from some of these new studios they brought on that that's probably more appealing to them at the moment than potentially scaring people off with another oh yeah we're going to make a sunset overdrive 2 and it's going to be cloud and it's going to be everything else and yeah it's it's probably a little bit of a difficult prospect plus the first one never sold hugely well anyway so yeah um, but i don't know if that was a limit of the number of xbox ones that were out there at the time do you know what i mean early yeah it was what probably the the year after release of the xbox one yes yeah and it did struggle like anything to sell didn't it I, i don't know i hope so it seems it seems a shame to me that there was so many games that they launched with Microsoft. You know, new when when you get a new console, people go, "I want new IPs, and I want this, and I want this." And I thought yeah. Microsoft did really well in having a you know a pretty diverse lineup of titles in the first yeah. sort of like two years. And if anything, sure. it was probably Sony who was struggling, and they were kind of surviving on the fact that well, not surviving because it was outselling, but you know, being the best place to play uh, multiplats. And it's funny how it's kind of gone full circle now, whereas PlayStation's got all the really good exclusive games coming out and it's Microsoft going, oh, well, you can play Battlefield first and it's best on this <laughs> and stuff like that. That and Rise, I don't know, just some off the top of my head that I thought, you know, deserved a sequel, but obviously it's not in our hands. It's Phil Spencer and the, <laughs> the money bags. <laughs> um, talking of Microsoft buying studios, there was rumours recently wasn't there about them buying obsidian yeah um, very strong ones, yeah. um do you think there'll be any kind of announcement uh for that at exo or is it too early or there hasn't really been any more news about that i don't think so no i mean if the deal's done if it is true and they've done then that, i imagine they will announce it there but yeah. you, you don't know how long yeah. these things take to the and due diligence and all that kind of stuff could go on for for ages couldn't it yeah yeah 
I mean, I, I know that we'll, we'll get to this story in a second, but I know that some of the Sea of Thieves content that, that <laughs> you, that's coming out over XO18 is obsidian <laughs> colored. And I just think that's, I mean, it could be a coincidence, but I don't think it is. I don't think that's a coincidence at all. It could be the ultimate tease, though, because let, yeah. let's go on to that one first then, right? So yeah. this week, Major Nelson tweeted a video and basically, it's like they've done for E3. If you watch the XO conference on Mixer, you're going to get some free Mixpot items. So the items they're going to give you, there's some some items in Forza Horizon 4 and Sea of Thieves. And like Sam said, there was one of them that was the obsidian-coloured such-and-such a thing. And then Major Nelson deleted that video quite yep. quickly, ah. but luckily Mark had taken a screenshot. And then he just kind of tweeted out saying, you know, watch on Mixer this weekend, I think. So I don't know. It seems, could they just be trolling? And he's done that <laughs> deliberately and gone, who's going to pick up it? it says Obsidian. Um, and, you know, really, they've known all along that they were never buying Obsidian. And it's just like a man troll <laughs> at this point. It, it could be, couldn't it? Why would like they, a, <laughs> what do they gain by doing that, though? I, I don't know. Yeah, true. And, and the other if thing it was me and rumours were leaking all over the place, I'd fuel some fires just for fun, <laughs> wouldn't you, if you were in that position? Uh, I just don't know. Get more people watching. Get people more people on Mixer. Yeah. yeah. But, um, I, I, uh, I also saw that Chris Avalone, who used to work for Obsidian, and he's a quite a prolific character in in the games industry anyway. He did, he did a lot of the writing for um, for a lot of their games. And he has come out over the weekend and said... If Microsoft buy Obsidian, they should. The first thing they should do is sack the entire top level of staff, like sack the entire <laughs> management staff, which is a pretty brutal thing to say. But it's also interesting because obviously, as, as he's an industry insider, that's quite a bold thing to say about something that hasn't yeah. even been confirmed. So whether he knows something or not, I don't know. But I know that they've had some, they've had some management grief with the sequel to Pillars of Eternity. Really didn't do that well, and it was yeah. it was a backer thing on Fig, so people were a little bit worried about getting their getting their investment back so he's got a point but it was an interestingly like quite a quite a fiery thing to come out and say like, oh yeah microsoft go ahead and buy it but make sure you sack the entire management team um, <laughs> and he's probably so, yeah. put like another tweet underneath it and hire me like, <laughs> yeah exactly yeah i'll manage it <laughs> <laughs> All right, some more things that have come out this week. So there was a tweet from Microsoft, obviously, oh, sorry, Xbox, about XO18. And then the Humble Bundle account just put uh, retweeted it with a, a little winky face. Mm. So that's going to be big for Xbox because Humble Bundle, if you don't know about it, is a way that they kind of put together a group of games. It's been on Steam and PlayStation 4. And you can kind of offer to buy it for whatever price you want. Yeah. And then if you bid over a certain amount, you might get some, you know, some additional games thrown in and like money from it goes to charity and stuff. So it's a really good all round incentive that, you know, charity gets a bit of money, the publishers get a bit of money and all kinds of good stuff. You get a good deal. A lot of people have been asking why there's been no humble bundle stuff on Xbox. I'm guessing they wouldn't wink for no reason. Again, it could be a massive troll. But would you expect that we're going to see some humble bundle deals on Xbox announced during the yeah. conference? Seems highly likely now, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know what the the deal is with humble bundle these days. I think when it started out, it was it was a certain like selection of games, and you could pay whatever you wanted for them. Um, mm, yeah. 
So I remember just like paying one penny for everything. I was completely morally <laughs> morally bankrupt teenager. Um, but um, I think they've got but, tiers uh, of it now, haven't they? As you mentioned, yeah, so, like certain yes. titles have a minimum bid which you can make. They did a PlayStation one last week, I think. So I've got story up on TT at the moment that, that goes through that one. It's a THQ Nordic specific one. So THQ Nordic have put a bunch of their games in, in the deal. And yeah, there's there's tiers to it. So I think you can get two or three games where you can pay as little as a penny. And then to get up to the top tier and end up with, I think it was 11 games in total. It was, uh, mm-hmm. I think it worked out to about £14, um, wow, which is so still crazy. pretty good. It's amazing, yeah. yeah. That included the Darksiders war mastered edition which is still 15 pounds on the store anyway so you're getting 10 games for free essentially off of that so it is a really good deal and i i can only imagine that because they started doing a lot more of the playstation stuff after ign bought humble bundle so i think that they're probably getting bigger and doing more deals so yeah it makes perfect sense that they'll they'll do an xbox one and it's the perfect time to mention it i think Mm. see what that is hopefully we'll get a good selection of games if they do one Although saying that, I think probably my Steam library is yeah. probably 90% games I'll never play that I purchased from a humble <laughs> yeah, same. For, for £2 or something like that. But yeah, we'll see. There was rumours again. I don't know. This seems like an ongoing thing, and Mark will no doubt be anticipating it eagerly. An announcement of Splinter Cell. Do you think that's something that they do at an Xbox conference rather than E3 in their own show or...? In, or even on the Xbox stage or PlayStation stage at E3, does it? Can you see that happening? Well, I mean, the, the, so the rumor was that 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 either Ubisoft weren't quite ready to announce it at E3, and now Xbox has swooped in to take up the announcement, or that Xbox struck a deal with Ubisoft to say, "Don't do it at E3, do it at XO18." But if the latter was true that would be a lot of money just to get yeah. the announcement. I mean, that would be a huge amount of money for Ubisoft to take it off of their stage <laughs> and put it on Xbox stage. So I, I, if, if it was true at all, I think it could be that maybe they really weren't ready and Xbox kind of just said, well, if you need a platform to to do it later in the year, you can use ours. That that seems more likely if it happens at all. But I just think someone's out to hurt Mark, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> I remember how excited <laughs> Mark was. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sad, but there has been. Um, was it? I can't remember which one it was. One of them was exclusive to the 360, wasn't it? Was it Conviction? Possibly, yeah. I think one of them was. So the, there, there has been a history of. I'm, I'm, I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty certain there's been some kind of history of exclusivity with Microsoft. And Microsoft seems to be rolling in dollar dollar bills, y'all. They're throwing it around <laughs> yeah. everywhere. Would it? It's true. <laughs> And it's the only game from the Walmart leak at E3 that yeah, didn't get announced. Didn't so so yeah. there is that as well. It's the only missing. There's, there's link no doubt. That. That, there's no doubt that Ubisoft are working on a Splinter Cell. It's a really popular game. There's no way that they've just gone. No, let's leave this and do Skull and Bones. Hmm. <laughs> it's been ages since <laughs> Splinter Cell game's been out, though, hasn't it? Am I wrong about yeah. that? Yeah, it's been. Years. Yeah, it's been. Yeah. Was it Blacklist? Was the last one? So that was I don't know. Maybe a, towards the latter end of Blacklist, 2011, yeah. 2013, apparently. Yeah, it's it? a long right, time. Okay. It's quite a long time. So yeah, they keep insisting that they they don't have the audience for it. But I wonder oh, if they just keep that. saying that to get more people screaming about it, so that they can have a nice big announcement that everyone gets raving about. But I hope they don't do what they did with Ghost Recon and you know, turn it into some open world. Oh no, I, I don't think they get away with that. <laughs> yeah. Mark finally gets spin itself, but the bad news is it's 
10 times the size of Red Dead Redemption 2's map. <laughs> yeah. But I know we've talked about Obsidian. There has been people suggesting that maybe the acquisitions don't stop there. If if they didn't do Obsidian, if, if that turns out to be false, it wouldn't surprise me if there was some kind of announcement of a new acquisition. They seem to be mm. looking to grow that side of the portfolio quite aggressively. Maybe some, I don't know, the, the ones at E3 were totally out of the blue to me, Ninja Theory and stuff like that, Compulsion Games. So it, I wouldn't be surprised if there was somebody that nobody expected. Yeah, I think I, I would look at, if people wanted to try and speculate, I would just look at the companies that are maybe haven't, their last game hasn't performed as well as they would want, or they're talking about financial troubles and stuff, because obviously both Compulsion and... Ninja Theory. Ninja Theory made it fairly well known that they were, you know, it was a struggle <laughs> yeah. to get Hellblade out the door. And obviously, Compulsion Games had all that blowback from the preview of of We Happy Few. So, both of those cases, there was there was a certain amount of Microsoft sort of swooping in as a guardian angel to say, "Don't worry, we'll we'll lift you out of the mess you've got yourself in." So, if that's their kind of mo, look out for the studios that are saying, "Help, we need money," <laughs> and maybe they're, they're angling for Microsoft to pick them up. The, the first one that comes to mind for me is Bungie, but they they've already split, so now they should rejoin. I guess yeah. is that how it works. Um, oh, but they're yeah. they're tied into at least a Destiny three, aren't they? Yeah, but I just rem- yeah, just uh, re- thought about the um, the headlines about them uh, like doing yeah, the f- refer a friend and like the woes <laughs> of that and stuff. So yeah, yeah. I mean they they they're tied in with Tencent, but then I know Tencent are having are all sorts of trouble at the moment as well. Really? So didn't know that. I think it's Tencent. I could be completely wrong, but I know that because of all the recent gaming regulations that China have been involved with, there's been some real struggles for companies that bought into that whole getting investment from China at the moment, because there's so much censorship going on that it's really making it difficult to release a game at the moment. So that's another, you know, there's, there's a lot of companies like that again, who may want to come back under Microsoft's wing because it's a bit safer, a bit less volatile market, but who knows? All right, so there have been some uh, things that are definitely going to be appearing from tweets. So we're going to see something about PUBG. It's not a game that I'm following anymore. I'm not. I don't know. It just didn't grab me. I'm guessing there's going to be a new map or something like that, maybe. Or maybe they're going to turn 4K back on on the Xbox One X. They fixed all the stability issues. I don't know. But there was rumours of a PlayStation version of PUBG coming as well. Yeah, there's been multiple things that have happened that have pointed towards PUBG coming out in December. So there was a Korean ratings board post and then someone managed to find the sort of scans of the images for the PlayStation Store. And following that, an industry analyst who's pretty well known for anything he says is true came onto the Reset Era forum where they were discussing those images and said, yeah, it's coming out in December. So it's pretty strong at the moment that PUBG is going to come out on PlayStation 4 in December. I really don't think that Microsoft are going to announce that on their stage because yeah. that would be insane. But I wonder whether <laughs> I wonder whether whatever they've got planned is to try and uh, try and boost PUBG on Xbox's profile ahead of PlayStation getting it. Because I would imagine that PlayStation won't necessarily get immediately up to speed with whatever's coming out for Xbox, and yeah, so they may announce you know idea. new new map, new content. Yeah just to, to keep people playing on Xbox while PlayStation is still lagging behind a little bit with the kind of vanilla version of the game. But and yeah, we have we'll see. Got, um, a promotion going on at the moment where you can play PUBG and PES 2019 for free at the moment on the Xbox One. So maybe that is, yeah, pull. 
as many players in, as possible before they release it on PS4, potentially. Yeah. But yeah, we're going to get something from PUBG. Tomb Raider, I'm guessing that's going to be a, a, the next DLC pack for it. Yeah, which we've already heard a lot about. So that's not, uh, they actually talked about it on the last, one of the last uh, Xbox uh, video streams that they do. Uh, they, they talked about it in quite a lot of depth. So I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's okay. It's just going to be another tomb, basically. Um, <laughs> so if you if you really want to go back to that game now with Red Dead Redemption Two on your shelf, then fine, go ahead. Oh. <laughs> but it's not it's not really going to be something I'm going to jump back to straight away. Uh, we're going to get some State of Decay Two news. So I know they announced the plans for post launch. Mm. So I'm guessing that's going to be some new big expansion for that. Again, that's a game that I don't know. I was kind of torn on that one. I liked it, but I just it didn't pull me in completely. Do you know where, mm. where I played it? I was quite happy to play it, but once I put it down, I wasn't like drawn back to no. turn it on again. We've also got some Forza Horizon Four news, so I'm pretty certain that that kind of tie in with the first big expansion for that. Yeah, interesting to see where they go with it because obviously the big ones in two and three have been kind of weather themed, so they're not going to do that this time, are they? So no, we'll true. <laughs> We'll see about that. We didn't get any hints, unfortunately, in the interview that's going to follow. Sea of Thieves is a game that keeps on going. It's a big news for that. I, I'm guessing there's going to be some new yeah. big monster to go and kill or yeah. something like that. They seem that. to be adding gonna... expansions to it at quite a rapid rate. So I think it's probably the case. Another little piece of content to do. I think they're going to announce that they're going to scrap the entire achievements list and rework it. <laughs> <at the start laughs> <over. laughs> no more banana crates. I'd... Yeah, no more banana crates. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we're going to get some pandas in Minecraft, which I know is Ooh. the reason I'll be tuning in. Yeah, mm. I'm all over that. Nice. <laughs> Maybe Minecraft too. <laughs> I guess that's it really for our XO18 speculation. It's totally up in the air. We don't, there's not really been anything firm. I don't think there's been any real solid leaks like there would be at E3. I'm guessing they're managing to keep it quite close to the chest this far. We shall tune in tomorrow, find out, and hopefully there's lots of good stuff for everybody to find out about. The only other real bit of news that's really interesting for us this week, and it kind of relates to the interview that's coming up, is Forza Horizon 4 Playground released a patch this week. Quite a few little fixes, but the main one for us is that the Antique Restorer achievement, which was for finding all the buying finds in the game, has been fixed. So if you mm-hmm. found all 13, I think it is in total, if you found all them and your achievement aren't unlocked, if you just kind of jump in the game now, then it should pop within a few seconds of you starting to drive, basically. So that's good news for everybody who's stuck on that one. Nice. Indeed. All right, that is it for this week. I know it's a bit short, but you've got the nice uh, extended interview coming up shortly. Thanks for joining us. We shall be back next Friday when we've got Hitman to talk about and Battlefield 5 will be available. So I'm sure we'll be playing some of them. Thanks for listening and goodbye. Bye. Bye. This week, Rich and I got to sit down with Mike Brown, who's a principal game director at Playground Games. We spoke at length about Forza Horizon 4 and some of the decisions they put into the game, the location, the addition of seasons, the Horizon stories, and lots of other things. We hope you enjoy, and we'll be back for next week's episode next Friday.
Okay, we're now joined by Mike Brown, who's the principal game designer at Playground Games. Obviously worked on Forza Horizon 4. Thanks very much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It's really great to be here. We're excited. We're big Forza Horizon 4 fans, but Forza Horizon in general. So it's a real honor to speak to anybody from Playground. Let's start off with a simple question. How long have you been working at Playground Games? So I've been at Playground Games for a little over five years now. Uh, so I've worked on Fox Horizon uh, 2, 3, 4, and all of their various expansions and add-ons. Yeah, so that's, I joined just as Horizon 2 was entering production. Uh, so you've got the little five-year award then? I haven't actually had mine yet. They, they tend to come a little bit after. Uh, there's a little bit of a lag on that. So hopefully if people <laughs> listening to this, then they'll speak that up for me. <laughs> As um, the principal game designer, what was your role during the making of uh, Forza Horizon 4? So um, game designers at Playground have quite a a broad range of responsibilities. Uh, As principal, I'm uh, one of the most senior uh, designers on the team, uh, which is responsible for kind of being a vision holder for the project to make sure that all of our separate game features all uh, come together to support our overall vision for what we want the game to be and make sure those features are all supporting each other in, in appropriate ways. And all of the designers at Playground, we are quite heavily uh, involved in coming up with new ideas for features for the game, new ideas for the game. We then uh, will pitch those ideas to the leadership at, here at Playground and also over at Xbox. And then once those ideas have been approved, we will be in charge of like shepherding those features through concept and implementation and then to the features that you see in the final game. Nice. I suppose the biggest question with Forza Horizon 4 was uh, what was the thinking behind choosing Britain as the location and uh, how did you choose which areas of Britain to include in the game? So the decision on the location that we're going to set the game is probably the the decision that we spend the most time deliberating on. We have a very uh, thorough process in which we create a long list of countries and locations and we compare those on all, all sorts of different criteria that you uh, might not expect. There's things that are obvious, like does it have beautiful scenery? Um, and then there is things like does it have a city that is suitable to the way that we make cities? Um, and that is to say, like our, our version of Surface Paradise in Edinburgh and Nice, they're not one-for-one scale replicas of those cities because, well, they, they can be quite sprawling. Mm-hmm. And it's like, does the can you scale the city down and still maintain all of its character and flavour and appearance? And um, so we need to find a country that that can support that. We, we want to choose a country that has a rich car culture because that helps us to, to to draw on that, to pull ideas out for in previous games, in the bucket list, in this game, in Horizon Stories. Um, similarly, you want to have a country which has uh, local cars that are manufactured there because they, give, they lend it an identity. Um, and and all, all manner of other things like environmental diversity, does it have cool roads, which is one of the great things about Britain, really, that Although our roads aren't great for driving in real life, um, they're actually in a video game where you want roads that meander and curve and have got loads of character to them. They are they are brilliant because a lot of our roads well they predate cars. So yeah. whereas say in uh, in a country like America uh, or maybe China is probably a better example where the roads are really really new. They just go in a straight line. They cut yeah. through whatever they come across and go straight for just straight through to b- between whatever settlements they're trying to connect. Boring. Whereas Britain, because our roads might be hundreds of years old, they'll have oh, there's a tree there, we should curve around that tree and oh, there's some rocks. <laughs> we'll, we'll curve the road around those rocks, which gives you really cool, characterful, meandering roads, which are great for a dragon game like ours. Yeah, plus I suppose you get a lot of variety as well with like the countryside and the, and the built-up areas as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, and that's the thing that we 
we found, I mean, obviously we're very aware of uh, the makeup of Great Britain, but I think when you really started <laughs> to, uh, to look at it, it, it does have a really, really beautiful um, diversity across well, the, the way we've got in game. We've got the Cotswolds going to the Lake District, going to the Moors, going to the, the Scottish Highlands. You have uh, in one little island a really, like, a really great variety of, of environments that we can take players to. Okay, and did the setting pose any challenges, or on the flip side, did it give you the opportunity to do something that you've wanted to do in previous games and then had the chance to do? Yeah, so challenges, something that we were really worried about is a problem that we've never faced in previous games because we've always set games in places where we didn't live. And so when we had to chop up Australia and just slam it together in a way that didn't really make sense to Australians, we'd moved cities around and moved environments around because we, we were trying to make an environment that was fun to play rather than a a, a one-to-one replication of uh, Australia. We were worried that being British, we might not be able to apply that same um, mindset to it. We wouldn't be able to comfortably like put the Yorkshire Moors right next to Edinburgh um, because yeah. we'd be like, oh, but the Yorkshire Moors aren't right next to Edinburgh. <laughs> and that was kind of a, a thing that we had to fight against and make sure that the, the game design and the, the environment design won out and made sense rather than any like clinging onto what is actually uh, authentic to real life. Uh, but on the other side, um, it was uh, it, it actually made it uh, in many ways a lot easier for us. Um, we, whereas previously we've had to travel uh, sometimes to the side of the world in order to gather reference material, uh, in order to start trying to experience what those uh, places are like. Um, we didn't have that problem in Great Britain because we, we've lived here and people uh, on all teams had experiences of going on holiday to different parts of the UK or being from different parts of the UK. And we're able to bring those experiences and knowledge of what those places are like so that you can like capture the sort of the mood and the feeling of those places. I think, I mean, there's, there's, there's tons of examples uh, of, of where that came true, but our audio team is almost entirely Scottish. And um, the replication of the audio, like soundscape in Edinburgh, is, is something that I think everyone on the team is really proud of, especially those guys where they've. They spent a lot of time in Edinburgh recording it, but they made sure that there are certain, like in Edinburgh, there's a cannon that goes off every day at one o'clock and they make sure, but make sure they're at one and we'll record the cannon. Um, and then that's in games every day at one o'clock in game, the cannon wow. goes off. And that's the kind of thing that, um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm from the Northwest and I wouldn't have known that and I wouldn't have bothered to put that in, but those guys being from Scotland were, <laughs> were like, then that's a thing. That's a, that's a kind, of, kind of part of the Edinburgh soundscape that they know of, that they were very keen to capture and make sure yeah. they're in game. I'm going to have to listen out for that. I did not know that was in there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 60 yeah. hours of gameplay and I've not heard the cannon. <laughs> the, the, if, you, if you park up near the train station in, in Edinburgh, you can hear like the, the sort of the tannoy, like giving out notifications and stuff like that, which were actually recorded from the actual train station in Edinburgh and stuff. So it's all, uh, all has that real. Wow. The level of detail is incredible then. Excellent. Okay. So the other big uh, change for this year's game is seasons. And, uh, as the slogan goes, it really does feel like they change everything in the game. How did the idea to do seasons come about, and what were the challenges of recreating the map effectively four times to make them all look and feel unique? Yeah, so this was something that um, we've, we've talked about a lot for previous games. It's uh, when when you're trying to think of like what what new things can we do, and obviously we introduced snow for the first time in uh, in Horizon Three, and it's it was one of these big it's always fun to add a new sort of climate to the game a new a new because it brings with it a lot of different ways of a lot of different driving experiences and a lot of different ways to play and it's something we've discussed a lot in previous games but once once we were doing our location selection like i talked about earlier when we were looking at different criteria different like unique things that 
locations can bring. Uh, Britain, with its place in the world, is a is a very seasonal country. It has really, really diverse, like yeah. almost chapters to the year, where each season is very markedly different to the to the previous one. And that's true of a number of countries, but I think Britain is a is a really great example of that. And uh, when we were making that selection, it was kind of, it was first and foremost like if we do Great Britain, that allow us to do to do seasons and and they kind of came as one package we thought right we'll do britain and that's great because the other side of that coin is that we'll finally be able to um to implement seasons into the game um in terms of challenges manpower and the related challenge of money (laughs) 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 because it was uh it was i mean it was huge in terms of uh sheer cost and manpower and effort it was by far the the largest um encompassing feature we've ever built in any of our games um and i and I hope that people realise when they play that it's not just a case of, oh, there's blossom in spring and there's a sprinkling of snow in winter. It really has been <laughs> almost every asset in the game is, is rebuilt and changed and tuned so that it, it fits that season, it looks appropriate to that season. And that is just a thing that once once you start to go down that path, I think it was probably a lot more work for a lot more teams than, um, than we ever imagined. Obviously, we have... Um, really beautiful skies in our game. And we talked a lot in Horizon 3 about how we sent a team out to the Australian outback with a huge camera rig to record skies that we could make sure we had realistic sky data. That work was now multiplied by four because the sky changes significantly from season to season. The sun's a different path across the sky. The stars look different in different seasons. Um, Clouds and weather stations are different based on how how hot and cold the climate is. And that comes back to the previous point we were talking about um, the opportunities of Lingbrim. Whereas it would be very, very expensive and time-consuming for us to send guys out to Australia repeatedly to try and get, oh, forests sound different in winter. We should send a guy out there for winter to look at the forest sounds. In Britain, we, it's, it's an afternoon. The guys can just drive out somewhere, find a forest, park up, spend you know, five or six hours there getting various different sounds, um, as opposed to a, you know, probably a week-long round trip if they were trying to do it in Australia. I suppose that's unfortunate for them, though. <laughs> yeah, no trips abroad. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Um, <laughs> lots, more, lots more time in the office getting getting work done on the game than I suppose. <laughs> True. The online connected world works seamlessly in Forza Horizon 4. Is that one of the areas that the studio felt that you could really improve over uh, earlier games in the series? Um, yeah, so I think with that point, um, Horizon's always been a very social game. We've always tried to explore different ways of connecting people we had um we had a car meets in horizon 2 you loaded you started the game in a car meet and then we added um like the driver's hall lineup and stuff like that in, in horizon 3 we've had always had big club club based features encouraging people to play together and a connected world was something that we've we've talked about a lot and wanted to do a lot but there's it's always kind of put us off because it's kind of one of those things which has a lot of baggage in game development like you see other games like um will switch maybe from a game that was traditionally played offline and single player, they'll switch to multiplayer. And with that comes uh, complications. They have to like, they have to make concessions. And maybe the game would always require an internet connection or you'd have to suffer with griefing from other players and, and a, a whole litany of other things that would come with making a game uh, seamlessly connected. And we kind of said, if we, were gonna, if we were going to do this, if we were going to take a game that had traditionally been played offline as solo uh, and make it, a connected world then we wanted to do everything we could to solve those problems so so for example we we didn't require that you always have an internet connection we actually made it so that even though it's a connected world and we want people to play together we want people to be connected uh, we weren't going to force that it was never meant to be like a, a drm thing which i think a lot of people think of when people hear about games being always online mm. um which just wasn't an, it wasn't an objective about Absolutely. really um similarly we did a lot of work to 
uh, make sure that it was a really friendly environment that people wouldn't have easy opportunities to grief one another. So we made it so that you just go through one another. We introduced quick chat uh, in place of maybe always having uh, microphones on, for example. And then because we have quick chat, we're able to uh, control the kind of things that people are able to say to each other. And although there probably are opportunities to be uh, trolly with some of the quick chat phrases, they're generally uh, clean and friendly and <laughs> trying to be inviting and, and nice to one another. I'd buy that for a pound. I say that every time I get to it. It's my favourite quick chat line. I love all that stuff. I was I, I totally didn't think I'd use it, but I use it all the time. That, buy that for a dollar. That was quite funny because so all of our quick chat lines are um, are translated. So if you say um, hello in in your English game, uh, French guys will see bonjour. Um, oh wow! Uh, that I'd buy that for a pound. We actually put that in as I'd buy that for a dollar. Um, the uh, the popular saying, and then the localization people uh, for the British. <laughs> Brilliant. So if you, when you use that line, Americans will actually see. I'd buy that for a dollar. Um, Realised. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I've, not checked the, I've not checked the European ones, but I wouldn't be surprised if French are seeing. I'd buy that for a euro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably, probably. Um, uh, all that stuff works brilliantly. I have to say, it's um, it's it's really good. The car ghosting, especially, is. I remember the first time I was doing um, a speed trap challenge, and I was I was, suddenly saw this car coming straight on towards me. I was like, "Oh no!" And then I just <laughs> it just went straight through me, and I was, "Ah, oh, that's amazing! This is just I don't need to adjust my line anymore. This is so cool." Yeah, it's it's one of those things where internally there's like there's a little bit of a hump for people to get over because obviously it's not realistic, um, and in, in many ways our default position for things is, "Oh, we should just try and replicate real life. We'll try and keep it realistic." And it's one of those things where people when you're telling them that this is what we're going to do, there's an initial reaction of, well, that's, that's not how cars work. Yeah. You kind of have to get them in yeah. there playing it until they realize, oh, no, this is like this is definitely better. <laughs> this is- yes, I agree 100%. It's definitely better. You mentioned Horizon Stories earlier. Uh, it feels like a re- replacement for the bucket list events in the previous game. Was the decision to add some story elements anything to do with some of the bucket lists that were created by the community in Forza Horizon 3, which, of course, you could build your own bucket list events? Um. So, we obviously were well aware of all the community book lists that were being created. I don't know that Horizon Stories was a, a direct response to that, but rather uh, after two games of the bucket list, we'd God, we'd started to come to the end of things that we could realistically say were like bucket list things to do in cars um, without mm-hmm. getting really. I don't want to say the well everyone completely dry, but when we started out that feature, it's like, oh, yeah, you want to take a Bugatti Veyron and hit out max speed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Drive along yeah, the coast you. in a Ferrari 40. And th- these things that would realistically be on an auto enthusiast's bucket list. And we kind of reached the, the start of the end of that path, I think, and had to look at what, what could we introduce that would allow us to have some really fun, sort of mission-based, non-racing uh, gameplay, and also maybe not have that same um, inevitable endpoint that the bucket list had. Uh, and Horizon Stories were our, our answer to that, where it's a feature that we've um, we had four on disc, we've released another one since then, and there'll be more and more and more coming over the coming months and years. We've got loads in the pipe, which uh, I think in the fullness of time, people will see that this is, was a, it, it's a, that, that change from the bucket list of stories has given us so much more freedom to do uh, really, really fun and inventive and, and interesting things with a, a really... A colourful cast of characters that people will uh, meet by the uh, will get to meet over the next few months. I've really enjoyed that part of it. I, I thought it was going to be quite minor, but I've actually 
really enjoyed those bits. You can just pick up and play them anytime. They're nice and quick. They're, I think they're a great addition to it. I think they're a nice palate cleanser. If you've been doing quite a, exactly quite a lot of racing, exactly. then they're quite a, a light hearted bit of fun to have on the side. And it gets you a chance to drive cars that you don't own, which is exactly. another really cool yeah. feature. Another of the big changes this year is the inclusion of houses and customizable avatars. Was that something that was added based on feedback from the community? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, houses are... Uh, I've been one of our most requested features since the since released uh, Forza Horizon One, and it's been a, a kind of a, a recurring sort of like cute little meme in the community where in our previous games people would pick a house in the game, they would just like and they'd, they'd park the car outside the house on the drive, have it like parked neatly, <laughs> and they take photos of it and sort of share it as though oh I've decided that this is my house, and that was a kind of a recurring thing, and we've wanted to a number of times try and um, introduce playhouses that people could buy as a feature and each time not quite managed to make it fit into our our schedules um but this time we we, we did um and you know it was very much a response to uh, a long-standing request from the community and the, the, the same goes for customizable characters in horizon 3 we added the ability for you, added the ability for you to select which character you would be and um which i think left the the, the door open for the obvious next step of that, which is once you've chosen your character, you really ought to be able to uh, choose an appropriate style for them. Be that cool festival fashion or a rubber chicken suit. That's um, <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 that is up to the players. But um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's a, a thing we've wanted to do for, for, for quite a while and something people have been asking for for quite a while. Can I just say that my daughter um, is very pleased that you added dances? That is quite literally her favourite part of the whole game. She's not into cars, but that dancing section, she'll just preview every single one and then try and copy it. Yeah. It's amazing. I'm glad to hear that. Um, <laughs> yeah, some people can be a little bit po-faced about it. No way, man. You should see her. If I should record her. No one could be po-faced after watching that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think, I, I think they had a, a real uh, playful, uh, fun uh, vibe. To it. And you have to remember, the, the Horizon games are based around a music festival um, yeah, yeah, exactly. you're going to have loads of partying like 20 something guys out just doing um, just have, having a real fun time and I think the, the, uh, the dances are an, ex- an extension of that one of the things that blew both uh, Rich and I away when we were at Gamescom uh, was the Halo showcase um, so how did that one come about um, were there any challenges to adding the different Halo themed elements to the game and would you like to do any more crossovers in the future so, so it, full, full disclosure, um, I am an absolutely massive Halo fan. Um, <laughs> like, like really, like almost almost worrying levels of fandom. Um, <laughs> my is just full of Halo merchandise and stuff. I've got a very, oh, wow. a very patient wife, and so this uh, Halo showcase has been something that I have um, wanted to do for. Uh, quite quite a long time. So in Horizon Three, we sort of started back those conversations with Three for Three, and sort of built that relationship where we first introduced the Warthog, and we also had yeah. a challenge in uh, in Horizon Three where we, in, in as much as we could with the tool set that we had at the time, tried to replicate uh, some of the moments from um, the first Halo. But like I say, we were the the, the tool set, the things we had available, the amount of time we had to build it were. Uh, we're limited, uh, to say the least. Um, but this time we thought that we would, so somewhere where our resources are much less limited is in our showcase events where we always sort of afford ourselves a lot of time and a lot of resource in order to make them the most bombastic and impactful events in the game. And um, the Halo Showcase is probably our most bombastic event we've ever made. Um, and, uh, for, for me as a fan, it was a real 
a real labor of love. I can't take, I mean, I absolutely cannot take 100% responsibility for the Halo Showcase. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's, sounds like you made it. <laughs> um, it, 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 it is not 100% my work. I, I, I must say that, that uh, <laughs> there are level designers, cinematics designers, audio designers, uh, artists, that uh, it, the showcases really are a, a labor of almost every team in the whole studio has to work on, on, de- on different parts of them. But uh, for me, it was it was something I was super super passionate about, and I was uh, very passionate to make sure that it was filled in as much as three four three industries would let me uh, with, uh, <laughs> with fan service and nods to um, different parts of the Halo universe and parts of the Halo games, down to things like the other warthogs that join you on the ride. I wanted them to have uh, names that are uh, from Halo Halo lore, and I did a, as much research as I could to try and pick wow. marines that had been in the Halo games but had never in canon had never died so they could potentially still be alive in order wow. to <laughs> your attention to detail is amazing <laughs> the um yeah we um obviously we uh we managed to get uh, jen taylor uh who voices cortana to, cortana, yeah. to fly over to fly over to our recording studio in london to to, to do the video for it um which again I, was a, a great opportunity, really <laughs> a big fan opportunity for me because I, I wrote the script for that as well. So uh, was, <laughs> was, <laughs> I wasn't letting anybody else touch that bit. That was uh, <laughs> amazing. Uh, no, so you've you've definitely got the right person when you ask that question. Yeah, I was going to say, why don't I put the Halo question in, Dave? <laughs> when, when I saw it, when I saw it, when you sent through the, th- the things you wanted to discuss, I was quite excited that you put that one on there because, um, yeah, something that I'm more than happy to talk about as much as anyone will let me. Um, in terms, in terms of your second part of that question about uh, crossovers in future, um, obviously, um, I can't talk to details on those because that is not stuff we're ready to announce yet. But yeah, um, we're always on the lookout for. Um, the, the next like nods and references and stuff that we can put into the game and the other IP that we can collaborate with. Um, and I think that it's fair, that, um, fair to say that you know, people, pe- people were pretty happy with Halo Showcase. And I think other, other potential partners will probably be uh, excited to work with us as well. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> Excellent. Can I just say that we, we go to Gamescom every year and while it's an amazing event, it is draining for, for journalists. We, it's a very long day. There's always parties. There's so much walking. And I think we saw the Forza Horizon 4 dev session on like day four, maybe. We were there and we were very, very jaded. But that <laughs> perked us up like nothing else. It was absolutely amazing seeing yeah. that for the first time. Yeah. Uh, it was it was a really special moment, actually. So well done. It was it was brilliant. Yeah, really, really, really glad to hear that. Yeah, no, it was it was awesome. So, for those living under a rock, uh, Playground has been acquired by uh, Microsoft Studios. It's now a Microsoft Studio, which mm-hmm. means that Forza Horizon Four was your first game that was included in Game Pass. Yep. How did that affect anything? Did it affect anything when when it came to the game's release? Um, in terms of our work as a developer, it didn't really affect anything because it wasn't the case that we were making the a separate Game Pass version of the game that maybe had limited content or anything like that. It was pretty straightforward that the full uh, full Forza Horizon 4 game would, would be appearing on, on Game Pass the same the same day as it appears in stores everywhere else. Um, so there wasn't a, a huge amount of work or anything like that for us to do. In terms of um, the effect it's had on the game, then it's brought in uh, a, whole, a whole load of extra players on day one that we may not have had otherwise. Um which is great. Assuming it's great for us. network guys out somewhat. Yeah, it's, it's, great for us. it's great when we're trying to, you know, when we have a, a connected social game, we want to build a community that you have uh, all those people that subscribe to Game Pass who are able to just click download and jump into the game right away without having to 
pay out anything beyond their Game Pass subscription. So it was it was really great for us because I think the the number one uh, sort of stat that we always want to look for um, to, to mark the success of our games is just how many people are playing it, how many people have played it, how many people have played yeah. for how how much amount of time. And uh, Game Pass is just great as a as a bolster to that. And I think the way Microsoft look at it as well, they don't. There's no sort of um, like second class citizen in it. It's not like oh, the Game Pass people are less valuable than um, the people who purchased it. Really, yeah. everyone is a the team, Everyone is a player, and they're all treated 100 percent equally. And we we think of it that way as well. Where we however however you want to play the games, we're happy to have you. The thing that um, really impressed me. So we did some analysis um, a couple of weeks ago, actually, on the on the play rates from from launch for each of the games, and um, obviously Ultimate Edition purchasers get to yeah. play the game early. And I thought that there'd be less people buying the Ultimate Edition this year because it was on Game Pass. But actually, we saw pretty much the same amount of players playing the game uh, in the three days before launch this year as we did in three. So that must that must make you feel pretty pretty cool that you know your committed fans are still prepared to to pay for that ultimate edition just to get it up front, even though a lot of them are going to be getting it free. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And that was the thing that in, in the run up to that we just we Game Pass is still pretty new and uh, there haven't been that there hadn't been before as that many sort of big releases that have been out on the sort of launch day with Game Pass. No. It, was, it was Sea of Thieves um yeah, State of Decay 2, that was it, really. Yeah, and, and Sea of Thieves saw, I think, a sim- similar to us, a similar, almost surprising success, even though the game was yeah. um, in Game Pass and was available for $10 or $7.99, depending on which country you're in. It, it still, the, both of us and them still sold really, really well at full price. So it was, uh, it, it was, it was, it's, been, it's been really great for both of us, I think. I think having that extra number of people that are, able to get the game uh, just creates a, a great word of mouth and you have people that are playing it and then they can tell their friends and then the barrier to entry for those friends is is that much lower than having to go out and purchase the the, yeah. the full price game um, and as i say we don't we don't create a, a a delineation between players who play on game pass or who buy the game previously they're all all players that we're more than happy to have in the family brilliant last question one of the things that I think both me and Rich really admire about the game is the music. Uh, it often feels like it's a, a perfect accompaniment to the gameplay. Mm. Uh, what's the process like choosing which songs make it into the game? Yes, yeah, so the music the music process is is a, is, a, is a really fun one. So there's a team at Microsoft who um, sort of handle um, acquiring and sourcing music for all of Microsoft games. And they're able to get access to music that's not coming out for sometimes six months or a year. Uh, they kind of get early access to stuff. And oftentimes we were sent through uh, singles and, and EPs of tracks which are actually going to be out for ages and ages and ages. And it's funny because you hear them in the office and we're playing them and listening to them. Um, and they're not actually out. No, no one else, maybe other <laughs> than the band and the record label have yeah. heard these songs. So it's, it's, it's often a really, really fun process because you you're trying to predict what are the what good, what of these songs that we've got here are going to be the hits in by, by the end of the year when the game comes out? Yeah. Um, so internally, we have a a team of um, it's kind of, kind of all like the young, hip, and cool people, <laughs> and, and also me, <laughs> um, who um, who basically get these little drops of music where um, that, that team I mentioned at Microsoft managed to source some songs that they think will be appropriate. They send those through. We all kind of listen to them and rate them and say, oh, and, and a lot of times we'll be like, this is a great song to go with this particular showcase event or this particular horizon story. So there's a lot yeah. of that where we pick out songs because we know that they'll really serve us well in, in certain scenarios in the game. And other times we pick them just because they're really great driving music or really great music for just chilling out around the world. Um, 
so yeah, there's like a little a little committee in in the studio who listen to all those songs, pick out the ones that we think are appropriate that will suit the game, suit the Horizon Festival, um, and then we hand back off to that that team I mentioned at Microsoft who who go out and then do all the, the business stuff and make those songs happen for us. Great, uh, it's, it's a, you've done an amazing job of it. I've I've never really been into drum and bass before Forza Horizon Four, but I'm now a Hospital Records addict. <laughs> uh, so. I, in fact, what you said earlier about getting the tracks early, I actually sent Grant a message saying, how can I get hold of a copy of Wading Through the Crowds? Because it's just amazing. And he was like, oh, you've got to wait until yeah. it comes out. I was like, what? <laughs> this is ridiculous. But then when I first time I heard that tune, I was just cr- coming over the brow of a hill with like with the lake below me. And it was just like, wow, yeah. this tune, this this moment is special. And uh, I finally got it now. <laughs> so that's yeah, good. I mean, the hospital records especially, we have a we've built a really, really great relationship with those guys over the last few games. And obviously you'll know that we have, um, as DJs on that station, Chris Goss and London Electricity, who are just such, such a riot to work with. Uh, they're so much fun. It's, yeah. um, it sounds we do, like we do it. write them a script, um, although they don't, they don't seem to care about that. <laughs> 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 they'll, just, they'll just say whatever they're going to say. <laughs> just like, we just keep, keep, the, keep the mic rolling. So, uh, but they're, they're, they're a lot of fun to work with, and both in terms of the music they provide and also their, their talents as, uh, as DJs. I think we both appreciate that there's a Churchy's fan. Obviously, at playground. Oh yes, they keep keep pairing. That's probably one of the. There's a, there's, there's, there's a few churches fans, but I think the chief among them is uh, Mr. Ralph Fulton, um, oh, yeah. <laughs> who is a, a very big fan of churches and is always keen to have a, a new churches track in each game. All right, brilliant. That's the end of the interview. Thanks very much for joining us, Mike, and answering questions. Yeah, it's been, been my absolute pleasure. Great to talk to you guys. Hopefully, we'll see some more Horizon Four news at XO18 this weekend. Ooh. Let's hope so. Yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> 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 Don't tell me nothing. <laughs>